Welcome to the College Investor Audio Show, where we talk about the biggest issues impacting millennial money, from student loan debt to side hustles to building wealth. We will show you how to get out of debt so that you can build real wealth for the future. Hello, welcome to the show today. Is there a statute of limitations on student loans? That's our question of the day. Let's get right to it. So private student loans, just not federal student loans, are subject to statutes of limitations, the defense of latches and the defense of infancy. Those might be brand new terms for you today, but these rules can affect whether a student loan is actually legally enforceable. Huh. First of all, what is the statute of limitations? A statute of limitations is a limit on the period of time during which a lender can sue a borrower to collect on a defaulted loan. After the statute of limitations has expired, the loan is referred to as time-barred debt and is no longer legally enforceable. The lender can attempt to collect a debt after the statute of limitations has passed, but they can't file a lawsuit or threaten to file a lawsuit to collect the debt. Interesting. Some lenders will file a lawsuit anyway, <laughs> hoping to get a court judgment against the borrower. This is why a borrower should show up in court, preferably with an attorney, if they are sued. Otherwise, they're going to lose. When the borrower presents evidence that the statute of limitations has passed, the judge will dismiss the case with prejudice, thereby blocking the lender from refiling the lawsuit at a later date. Time-barred debt can remain on the borrower's credit report, for up to seven years after the last payment, except in Mississippi and Wisconsin, where the debt must be removed from the credit report once the statute of limitations has been reached. Borrowers should be careful, though, if they are contacted about any time-barred debt. Time-barred debt can be resurrected if the borrower makes a payment on it, even a token good-faith payment, because you felt kind of bad. That acknowledges the debt and promises to repay the debt. Don't sign anything without speaking with an attorney first. Without acknowledging that the debt is yours, ask for proof that the debt is owed. The name of the original lender, the account number, the original name and address of the borrower, and the amount and date of the last payment. Ask for this information in writing within 30 days by certified mail, return receipt requested. So important. Again, have this letter reviewed by an attorney before you send it. You can tell a lender or collection agency to stop contacting you about time-barred debt by exercising your rights under the Fair Debt Collections Practices Act. You can find that link to that act at thecollegeinvestor.com. By the way, there is no statute of limitations on federal education loans. The federal government also has very strong powers to compel repayment. Believe you me, they do, even without filing a lawsuit. They can garnish up to 15% of your wages administratively. They can also offset federal income tax refunds and up to 15% of Social Security retirement and disability benefit payments. <sighs> Private student loans, though, they're still subject to statute of limitations, which vary by state from 3 to 10 years, with 6 years being the most common. The statute of limitations starts with the date the borrower failed to make a payment. That was due or the date of the most recent payment, whichever comes later. We have a list of all the different states and the different years in the statutes at thecollegeinvestor.com. It isn't always clear which state's statute of limitations applies. 
It could be the state in which the borrower resided at the time the loan was made, the state in which the borrower currently resides, the state in which the student attended college, or the state in which the lender is or was located. If the contract has a choice of law clause, that clause will determine the applicable state. Borrowers should consult with a qualified attorney and not just assume that any particular state's statute of limitations applies. If the borrower moves out of the country, the statute of limitations will be told, suspending the statute clock until the borrower returns to the U.S. So you can't run away from your debt. What is the defense of latches? We mentioned that earlier in the podcast. So the defense of latches seeks to have a legal claim dismissed because of an unreasonable delay in pursuing the claim. The borrower would have to show that the lender's failure to pursue a claim in a timely manner negatively impacted the borrower's ability to defend against the claim. Although not the same as a statute of limitations, the defense of latches is based on similar notions of fairness. For example, records are lost and memory fades as time passes, making it harder for the borrower to prove that they do not owe the debt. Borrowers rarely try to raise the defense of latches because most student loan promissory notes require borrowers to keep their contract information up to date. If the borrower does not receive a loan statement or coupon book because they moved, that's the borrower's fault, not the lender's. The defense of latches generally doesn't apply to federal student loans, but the defense of latches might to private loans. It's just rarely used to defend against lawsuits concerning private student loans, though. Now let's take a look at the defense of infancy. Another key term today. The defense of infancy is based on the idea that minors lack the capacity to enter into legal contracts, such as loan promissory notes. This renders a student loan unenforceable because the student was underage at the time the loan was borrowed, even if they were enrolled in college. Federal student loans are not subject to the defense of infancy, though, of course. <laughs> Private student loans are subject to the defense of infancy, which is why lenders require the student and co-signer to have reached the age of majority for their state of legal residence. The age of majority is 18 in all states, except for Alabama and Nebraska, where it is 19. Why? I have no idea. And Mississippi, where it is 21. That seems reasonable. Hey, thanks so much for stopping by. That is our show for today. If you have any more questions about this, you want to dive a little bit deeper, you can find this article at thecollegeinvestor.com. Just copy and paste the title of this podcast into the search bar and you will find exactly the article. By the way, when you're there, there's tons of other stuff too. We have reviews on tax software. We have some tips on investing and how you can make the most out of your investments the best high-yield savings accounts, and more and more stuff. Even a hundred ways for you to start a side hustle of your own. Bang. Tons of stuff going on there. Again, it's thecollegeinvestor.com. Thanks again for stopping by today. We'll talk to you again real soon.